So we are ready to dive into God's Word. Amen? So we are continuing today our Christmas message series that I am calling The Dividing Line. need you to open your Bibles to Isaiah uh, chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This is part two of the series I'm calling Unto Us a Child is Born. Well, Christmas is one of my favorite times of the year. There's so much I love about the Christmas season. Do you like it also? I love all the lights, I love the decorations, the Christmas trees, I, I love all the music of Christmas time, uh, and I really enjoy some of those not-so-theologically accurate Christmas movies as well. You know, there's some great classics, you know, I, I wouldn't find my theology in It's a Wonderful Life, I, I wouldn't find my theology in Miracle on 34th Street, or certainly not in Elf, but I enjoy watching those movies this time of year, maybe you do as well. But of all these wonderful things we enjoy about the Christmas season, I hope that most of all that you're excited about Jesus because he's the reason we have Christmas in the first place. Amen. He truly is the reason for the season. I encourage you to keep Jesus at the center of your Christmas celebration. Make sure you're coming on Sundays all month long to make sure that you're together on the Lord's Day celebrating Jesus Christ. Read through the, the account of Jesus' birth there in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2 with your family members. Talk about why we have Christmas in the first place with your family, especially if you have kids or grandkids in the house. There's so much about this season I love, but most of all, we have to keep Jesus Christ at the heart of Christmas. Well, this month at Impact, we are looking at the birth of Christ from a different perspective. We're looking at it from a B.C. perspective. Jesus' birth is the dividing line in history, dividing B.C. and A.D. And normally we go to Matthew and Luke to look at an A.D. perspective on Jesus' birth. But this month, we're looking at some of those wonderful Old Testament passages that prophesied the birth of Christ, written no less than 700 years before Jesus' birth. And so today we are in Isaiah chapter 9 looking at one of these wonderful prophecies about the birth of Jesus Christ, who he would be and what he would come to do. So please follow along in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. If you're there, please say amen. amen. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, God will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea, along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. May God bless us as we study and apply his word. 
to our lives today. Amen? Well, Isaiah prophesied in the southern kingdom of Judah around 700 years B.C. 700 B.C., in other words, about 700 years before Jesus was born. And during Isaiah's lifetime, the nation of Assyria was the world's number one superpower. A few years earlier, they had already come into northern Israel, those ten tribes in the north that had seceded from the Union after King Solomon died. And those ten tribes of Israel had been conquered by Assyria. And Assyria was, they were ruthless. They were well known throughout the Middle East for not only slaughtering their enemies, but covering hillsides with their enemies' blood. They would hack off the heads of enemy soldiers and put those heads on poles and proudly display the heads of their enemies around their capital city. They were a wicked, cruel, ruthless nation. And you can imagine being the southern tribes of Judah, huddled around Jerusalem, knowing that Assyria had conquered the ten tribes in the north, and Assyria had set its sights on southern Judah. They were going to be next. And so you can imagine living in and around Jerusalem at the time. It was a dark time in Judah. Their circumstances were screaming doom and gloom. But God speaks through His prophet Isaiah to His people in verses 1 and 2 here. He tells them, despite how bad things appear to be right now, nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. He goes on to say, in the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those were two of the tribes in the north that had been conquered by Assyria recently. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. God was speaking pretty clearly to Judah, wasn't he? It seems like doom and gloom. Total despair. But I want you to know there is hope and there is light coming. Do you think perhaps God is saying the same thing to Christians in America today? Things appear pretty dark and pretty gloomy. But I want you to know, despite all that's gone on in 2022, the mass shooting at the elementary school in Evaldi, Texas, the invasion of Ukraine, the crazy high inflation and crazier high gas prices. I, I was almost jumping up and down on Friday. I went to Costco. Actually, it was yesterday. Went to Costco and got some gas. It was 389 And I'm like, woo 389 That's still historically really, really high. All these problems we've gone through, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. Inflation, gas prices, uh, uh, Ukraine, Uvalde, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We've had a rough year. But the Lord speaks to us through His Word today and tells us, despite how bad things appear to be right now, nevertheless, one day there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress I have humbled my followers in America, but in the future, my people walking in darkness will see a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death will see for themselves that a light has dawned. Isn't that encouraging? And here in Isaiah 9, God tells us who will carry out his plan. His plan won't be carried out by some massive army or by a league of nations or by a great political leader. Take a look again at verse 6. God's amazing plan will rest in the hands of a child. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. 
and the government will be on his shoulders. And read this next part with me. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One more time. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At least some people in Isaiah's day must have thought to themselves, Seriously, God? A child? Really? And God says, Really? A child. A very special one-of-a-kind, world-changing kind of child. But it will be a child, a baby, born to us, a son, given to us as a gift. Isn't that remarkable? Amen. And God's Word tells us in Isaiah 9, verse 6, He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And don't miss that little phrase, born to us. That's you and that's me. Let's take a look at each of those four wonderful titles in verse 6 that it says Jesus Christ would bear when he comes to earth. First of all, Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Amen? He is our wonderful counselor. Let's look at each of those words individually. Let's start with that word wonderful. Wonderful. It's a translation of the Hebrew word pele. We're going to put this on the screen for you. Pele is a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human explanation. That which is separated from the normal course of events, a miracle, a marvel, something extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. That's a big word, right? Marvel at Jesus Christ living up to the name Wonderful Counselor. Here in Isaiah 9, verse 6, 700 years before Jesus Christ was born, God is telling his followers in no uncertain terms the birth of the promised Christ child is going to be a phenomenon lying outside the realm of human experience. It will be separated from the normal course of events. It will be a miracle. It will be a marvel. It will be something extraordinary. It will be incomprehensible. It will be inexplicable. Sounds like it's going to be a virgin birth or something. Inexplicable. Incomprehensible. Extraordinary. I love how the little devotional, Our Daily Bread. How many of you read those on occasion, Our Daily Bread? They had a wonderful little devotion about Jesus' birth and this passage. I think this was a few years back. And they wrote this. Can we put that slide up, please? There we go. We often have a low view of the miraculous and therefore a limited sense of wonder. Do we honestly believe that the greatest miracles are come from behind victories by our favorite sports team? Or the wonder drug that calmed our hay fever? All of those can be explained. But a real wonder is something beyond human explanation. The prophet Isaiah declared that the coming Christ would be a wonder. He himself is the wonder. Amen? Think about that with me. He himself is the wonder. 
From Jesus' virgin birth, to His sinless life, to His extraordinary teaching, to His many miracles, to His death and burial and resurrection and ascension, everything about Jesus Christ would be a phenomenon outside the realm of human explanation. It would be completely unique and unparalleled in human history. Jesus would be a miracle, a marvel, extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. Jesus Christ Himself would be Wonderful, But it doesn't stop there. He would be wonderful counselor. That word counselor is a translation of the Hebrew word yoez. Yoez means to advise, to counsel, to devise, to purpose. In ancient Israel, a counselor was portrayed as a wise king, like King Solomon, who gave wise counsel and guidance to his people. But Jesus' counsel would be even wiser than the counsel of King Solomon, the wisest king in Israel's history. His counsel would be miraculous, marvelous, extraordinary, incomprehensible, inexplicable. The Apostle Paul summarizes Jesus' knowledge and wisdom this way. In Colossians 2.3, Paul says this, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All means all. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus Christ. So, we ask the question as skeptics, what difference does it make? Okay, fine. Jesus is wonderful counselor. What does that mean for me? Well, I'm so glad you asked. This is what it means for you. Three things in particular. Jesus, number one, he knows you. Number two, Jesus understands you. And Jesus Christ, three, can guide and invite you better than anyone else. Amen? He knows you. He understands you. He can guide and direct you better than anyone else. Why? Because He is the only wonderful Counselor. There's no question too hard for Him to answer. There's no problem too big for Him to handle. There's no family drama that's too dramatic for Him to deal with. No amens to that, huh? Yeah. Christmas Day is two weeks away. Family dramas are coming for many of us. He can handle it. There's no soul too lost for him to save. Jesus Christ is the only wonderful counselor. So he is the first one you and I should go to with our questions. He's the first one we should go to with our questions and our fears and our problems. He's the first one we should go to because he is wonderful counselor. Oh, but it just gets better. He's not just our wonderful counselor. He's also, number two, our mighty God. Say that with me. He is our mighty God. God sent Jesus to earth to be our wonderful counselor, but second, our mighty God. It's the gift that just keeps giving. According to Isaiah 9, 6, He is not just God, He is mighty God. Let's start with that word, God. God is a translation of the Hebrew name El, E-L. So those of you that speak Spanish, it doesn't mean the in Hebrew. El is one of the names of God. It's a singular name. That is the singular form of the plural name Elohim. If you go to the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, you'll find that plural form of this name of God, Elohim. Literally, Genesis 1-1 reads, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And so El and Elohim are both used of God probably hundreds of times in the Old Testament. And so this name El is clearly referring to the creator of heaven and earth. And Jesus is called the mighty El. 
And the New Testament confirms that Jesus is, in fact, God. A few quick examples. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You flip over to John chapter 8, verse 58, and Jesus says himself, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. And his critics picked up rocks to stone him to death because they knew full well when he said, I am, I am, he was claiming for himself the holiest name of God in the Old Testament, Yahweh, the great I am. And so Jesus himself claimed to be God. And you flip over to what Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were what? All things were created. He is the creator. The Bible is crystal clear. Jesus is God. And Isaiah 9 verse 6 makes clear that he is the mighty God. Mighty is a translation of a pretty cool Hebrew word. The word is gibor. Say that with me. Gibor. So Jesus is El Gibor. Gibor means strength. Power, hero, warrior. How many men in the room like those definitions? Yeah, I like to hear about heroes and warriors. Ladies, I bet you do too. That's so good, I think. He is El Gibor. Strength, power, hero, warrior. Here in Isaiah 9, 6, we're told that Jesus is El Gibor, which means the God of strength, the God of power, God our hero, God our warrior. Now, let me ask you, how many of you need strength in your life today? You're feeling a little bit puny here in this Christmas season. You need some strength. Well, I've got some good news for you today. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is El Gibor. How many of you could use, amen? How many of you could use a hero to come into your life and save the day? Amen. I got good news for you. Jesus is El Gibor. He is our hero. We need a hero at times. We need strength. We need power. We need a warrior at our side to help us fight our battles. Jesus is your man. He came to earth as El Gibor, the mighty God. While Jesus walked the earth, he confirmed his right to be called mighty God by exercising power over nature and power over demons and power over, over disease and power over sin and even power over death. So this Christmas season, allow this truth about Jesus Christ to sink deeply into your minds and hearts. My God, my Savior, is El Gibor. He is mighty. He is the all-powerful God. He is our God hero. He is our God warrior. And as we follow Him, He fights for us. Our mighty God fights for us. Think about that for a moment. He fights for you. He fights for me. He is El Gibor. Well, it gets even better. He's not just wonderful counselor and mighty God. Third, according to Isaiah 9, 6, Jesus is also our everlasting Father. Now, some translations translate it a little bit more literally as Father of Eternity. But this is basically what everlasting Father means. He is the Father of Eternity who transcends time and space. He is extra-dimensional. How many dimensions of space and time do we have in our universe? You may remember from science class four. Length, width, height, one dimension of time. Four dimensions of space and time operate in our universe, and we know God operates beyond those four. In fact, it's been mathematically and scientifically proven that in order for the laws of physics in our universe to exist in the way it exists today, 
it had to have been created out of at least ten dimensions of time and space. We can't even wrap our minds around what that looks like because we can't visualize anything that we can't personally experience. But it's been proven. God is massive. He is everlasting Father, transcending time and space. He can be in all places at the same time. Amen. The Hebrew word here means never-ending, without end, or eternal. The title calls attention to the fact that once the coming Christ sets up His kingdom, His kingdom will never, never end. It will last forever. And so normally when translators translate this word everlasting out of the Hebrew, they translate it as everlasting instead of eternal because the word eternal is a little broader than everlasting. Eternal strictly means no beginning and no ending. And Jesus' kingdom is not, strictly speaking, eternal. It is everlasting because it has a definite starting point. But once his kingdom is established and set up, it never ends. Amen? It is everlasting. So Jesus himself is eternal, but the kingdom promised here is a kingdom that is everlasting. He establishes it when he comes to earth, and it will never end. Jesus' kingdom will transcend space. It will not just be located in Israel. It will be worldwide, even a universe-wide kingdom. According to Isaiah 9-6, Jesus will be called Everlasting Father. Now, we need to cut through some of the confusion when Jesus is called Father. It can be a little baffling to us knowing that we believe in the Trinity. God is three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And almost every time in the Bible when God is called Father, it's referring to the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, right? Jesus, when we see him throughout the New Testament, he's referred to as the Son of God. He has the position of Son. So here, why is he called Father? It's a little confusing for some of us. Well, it's important to keep in mind, we'll put this on the screen for you, the title of Jesus, Everlasting Father, has nothing to do with his position in the Trinity. This title has everything to do with his character and his relationship with those of us who submit to his kingship. Now, how many of you are either a parent or have been a teacher at some time in the past? Okay, a lot of us in the room. If you're a parent or a teacher, you can relate with this. When we are teaching a three-year-old or having a conversation with a three-year-old, we have to dumb down our language a little bit, don't we? We have to simplify our language. Now, adults in this room, you have the ability to speak and converse at a college level. But how many of you speak at a college level to a three-year-old? Anyone? It would just go right over their head. There's no point. The kid will be giving you a blank stare and be distracted in like half a second. And so we naturally will dumb down, will simplify our language so whoever we're speaking to can understand us better. In this case, the three-year-old, right? Well, I'm here to tell you the intellectual distance between me and a three-year-old is much, much closer than the intellectual difference between me and the creator of the universe. Compared to the brain power of the creator of the universe, my brain is like a shriveled peanut. I got a peanut brain compared to God. And so keep that in mind as we look at this title of Jesus here. Why is Jesus called everlasting father? Because father is a term that you and I can understand and relate to. 
God is simplifying who Jesus is so you and I can wrap our minds around it a little bit easier. We can understand that term. We can relate to that term. This kingly title of Jesus is revealing that Jesus will be like a father to us and his fatherhood will never end. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Now, to many of us who grew up with a loving father, this sounds especially good. For those of us who had a father that maybe was a snake in the grass, you know what? It was a dad maybe that was selfish Distant, maybe even abusive. We hear that word father and it almost puts a pit in our stomach. And so understand today that when we talk about Jesus Christ as everlasting father, he is one who will never be selfish. He will never be distant. He'll never be abusive. I love how Pastor David Sunday describes Jesus as everlasting Father. He writes these words so good. Everything you've ever dreamed a father could be, everything you've ever wanted from your relationship with your earthly father, Jesus is and will be for you. Your Messiah will forever be perfectly fatherlike in the way He shepherds and leads you. In Jesus, you have a perfect Father forever. Jesus came down at Christmas into a broken and sinful world to fill our hearts with heaven's love and to make sons and daughters out of his enemies. This is the Father's gift to us at Christmas. Isn't that good? Once you become a child of God, you are his and he is yours forever. The great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said it really well. He wrote, there is no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. He is everlastingly a father to those who trust in him, especially if your dad here on earth was pretty rotten. Take comfort in that. I had a pretty good dad, but honestly, as an adult, I felt distant from my dad. We weren't close. And it was kind of strange. I'd written this sermon, finished it on Thursday, and I believe it was Friday night. I had this dream right before I woke up in the morning, and it was a dream about my dad. And my dad, as many of you know, uh, back about five years ago, had a stroke all of a sudden. He had just turned 80, and he had a sudden stroke, and he never bounced back from that. He died two years later. And so we had such a, a disconnect, especially during those last two years of his life. But in this dream, I was, and I, the best I can remember, my dad was lucid at the time. It was probably pre-stroke. But I was sitting on the couch next to my dad, leaning my head on his shoulder and just spending time in his presence. And it was a beautiful moment that I hadn't experienced in quite a long time with my dad, even in his final years. I I just didn't have those kind of moments. And I tell you, this really resonated with me. Maybe others of you are like that. You wouldn't say you, you had a bad dad. You didn't have a rotten dad. He wasn't abusive. But you weren't that close. I'm here to tell you that Jesus Christ can be the close father figure you've always dreamed of. And he'll never let you down. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. He is our mighty God. He is our everlasting father. And there's one more there in Isaiah 9 verse 6. Jesus is finally our prince of peace. The Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Say that with me. Shalom. Tell the person next to you. Shalom. Shalom. 
Shalom. So shalom is a wonderful word. Uh, the Hebrew people use it as a greeting. It is their hello, and it is also their goodbye. Shalom. Oh, shalom to you. Oh, see you next week. Shalom. Well, shalom to you. Hello, goodbye, but it means so much more than hello and goodbye. Shalom is most often translated into English as peace or harmony. But interestingly, shalom literally means wholeness. That's kind of cool, isn't it? A quick example over in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 8, verse 31, we're told that Joshua made an altar out of shalom stones. In other words, they were uncut, whole stones. They were shalom stones. So if shalom refers to wholeness, what exactly is a Jewish man wishing his neighbor when he greets him with a shalom? Well, he's greeting him wholeness in his health, wholeness in his marriage, wholeness in his family, and wholeness in his relationship with God. Isn't that pretty cool? Ever since the Garden of Eden, human beings have been very good at breaking things. How many of you broke something this year? If you think long enough, you probably can think of something you broke. Maybe it was a glass. Maybe it was a vase. uh, Maybe it was a bone. uh, Maybe it was your car. (laughs) But most of us probably broke something this year because we're really good at breaking things. We began breaking things right there in the Garden of Eden, didn't we? We're good at breaking relationships. You look back over your lifetime, you've probably broken a relationship at some point or another with a family member or a friend or a next door neighbor or a classmate or a boss. You cussed out on the way out the door when you got fired. Whatever it was, you can probably think of a relationship that you broke. And most tragically, we've all broken our relationship with God. Every single one of us has broken shalom with God. And the Bible is clear that the punishment for breaking shalom with God is death. The wages of sin is death. But because of God's amazing grace through Christ, we don't have to experience eternal brokenness and punishment. Because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, you and I can have peace with God this Christmas. Amen? We broke our relationship with God, but Jesus came to earth on Christmas Day to offer us true shalom. Jesus, you see, traded our brokenness with God for his shalom with God. Isn't that good? We're so thankful for that. When the angels shouted in the Bethlehem sky, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, shalom to men on whom his favor rests. They wanted to announce that that Christ child born in Bethlehem could in fact bring peace between human relationships. But most importantly, they wanted the shepherds to know that God was coming born as a child to bring peace between us and God. Amen. Jesus came to bring shalom between us and our Father in heaven. Jesus came into the world to put back together what you and I had irreparably broken. Only the Prince of Peace can completely mend your broken relationships. In fact, it's his specialty. Let me give you four powerful, wonderful insights that we can pull from this great verse, Isaiah 9, 6 today. Before I start with the first one. I, when I was six years old, began attending a local private school in the town I grew up in. My mom wanted to enroll me in a private school, but she didn't choose just any ordinary private school. She chose a strict Baptist private school. And when I say strict Baptist, I'm talking about some real strict Baptists. That was one strict school. 
Girls had to always be wearing dresses or skirts to school. Boys, collared shirt, never jeans. Jeans were not allowed. They wouldn't let you onto the school property if you were wearing jeans. And the boys' haircuts. Your hair could not touch your eyebrows, your ears, or your collar on the back of your shirt. That was some short hair. wasn't quite the military, but it was close. Academics. 95% on any assignment was an A-. minus. A 94% was a B plus. I've never known another school that strict. But my mom most of all sent me to that school because she wanted me every day of the week to learn the Word of God. And I remember at a pretty young age going to that Baptist school that I was taught three Latin words that nicely summarize some of God's enduring qualities that separate Him from every other being in the universe. Number one, God is omniscient. The Latin word for all-knowing. Number two, God is omnipotent. The Latin word for all-powerful. And God is omnipresent. Latin word for ever-present. God is all-knowing. God is all-powerful. God is ever-present. And here's something remarkable about Jesus' titles in Isaiah 9, verse 6. The first three titles highlight all three. Of these characteristics of God. I think that's pretty cool. Insight number one. As our wonderful counselor. Jesus is all knowing. He's all knowing. If you're like many Christians. One of your favorite Bible verses. Is Jeremiah 29.11. If you know it say it with me. For I know the plans I have for you. Declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you. And not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Don't you love that verse? We love that verse. It it, it reveals some of the wonderful counselorness of Jesus Christ. His plans for you are perfect. His thoughts are perfect. His insights are perfect. His counsel is wonderful. He's our wonderful counselor. But imagine what a bummer it would be if Jesus had the perfect plans for you, but He didn't have the strength to carry out those plans. Uh, We've all known people who were intellectual geniuses that were physical weaklings, right? They can sit back and tell you exactly how to load that U-Haul. And they've got that Tetris pattern all worked out in their head, how all those items can be puzzle pieced together and fit onto that U-Haul, but they stand back and watch everybody else lift because they can't lift a 10-pound side of a furniture piece. They're intellectually through the, you know, off the charts, but they don't have it here. They have it up here. They don't have it here. That second title of Jesus, though, says, you know what? The coming Christ, he's got it up here. He's our wonderful counselor. But he's also our mighty God. He's got it here. You see that second insight as our mighty God, Jesus is all powerful. He's all powerful. He's all powerful. Imagine what a bummer it would be if Jesus had all the perfect plans, but didn't have the power to carry out those plans. Some people think, Jesus, yeah, he's got the answers, but he's not strong enough to fix my problems. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. That's what led the Apostle Paul to write in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But consider this for a moment. It wouldn't be enough for Jesus to have all the perfect plans, And the strength to carry out those plans. 
if he wasn't motivated to carry out those plans in the first place, right? Uh, We can relate with that. There's all sorts of things that you and I know how to do, and we have the power to do, yet we choose not to do. For instance, uh, dishes. All of us know how to wash dishes. It doesn't take a rocket scientist. We can wash the dang dishes, right? We know how to wash the dishes. We have the strength to wash the dishes. So how come we don't wash the dishes so often and the sink piles up with them? Because I don't want to do the dishes. Many people think that of Jesus Christ. Yeah, given. He he knows what can fix my problems. And he has the strength to fix my problems. But I'm not convinced he cares enough about me to actually fix my problems. And I'm here to tell you today, it's the furthest thing from the truth. Jesus Christ is also your everlasting Father. Insight number three, as our everlasting Father, He is ever present. In our time of need, Jesus is right where you and I need Him to be. He really, really cares for us like a loving Father cares for His child. His plans for you are filled with love. His work in your life is filled with love. Just like a loving Father, Jesus protects and nurtures and leads and disciplines us all for our good. So these first three titles of Jesus here in Isaiah 9, 6 fit together beautifully. Jesus' plans for you are perfect. He's your wonderful counselor. Jesus' strength to carry out those plans is perfect. He is your mighty God. And Jesus has the perfect motivation to carry out those plans. He loves you with an everlasting God. He is your everlasting Father. And these first three titles of Jesus, I think, form a crescendo leading us to that fourth and final title. Because Jesus is all-knowing, because Jesus is all-powerful, and because Jesus is ever-present, Jesus Christ is the only one that lives up to the title. He is our Prince of Peace. So insight number four is our Prince of Peace. Jesus offers us true and lasting shalom with both God and people. On Christmas morning, 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow heard the church bells ring in the distance. Over the last two years, he had been in a deep depression. Two years earlier, his wife had tragically died in a house fire. Her dress caught on fire. Henry tried to put it out and he couldn't. And so she burned and died the next day. He himself suffered second and third degree burns that he carried the scars with for the rest of his life. A few months after his wife died, his son was recruited to join the army and fight in the Civil War. And so his son came back a few months after that, severely injured. He wasn't dead, but he was severely injured, took months to recover. And so during that two-year period between 1861 and 1863, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was depressed. But on Christmas morning, 1863, he heard those bells in the distance. And as they were ringing, he felt inspired to do something he hadn't done much of recently. He picked up a pen and he began to write a poem. And he wrote these words that eventually were put to a tune. I heard the bells. On Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat. 
of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And as he thought back over the prior year, he wrote this next verse. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. How many of you have been there? In the pit of despair. And the bells are ringing and the kids are singing and the people are saying ho, ho, ho at the mall. And you just want to crawl into a dark corner and shut it all out because you're in the dumps, hurting, discouraged, broken. It feels like your world is crashing down around you. Your spouse is gone. Your best friend isn't talking to you. Even your dog gives you funny looks. You're in a dark place. And meanwhile, people at church keep singing about peace on earth and goodwill to men. You can relate with Longfellow's words, can't you? But Longfellow was a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. So on that Christmas morning, 1863, when he heard those Christmas bells, a glimmer of hope arose within him. He knew that that valley he had been through, he would descend out of it because God was always at work for the good. He was reminded that he could find true, lasting peace and wholeness in the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. So he wrote one final verse to his poem. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth He sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Amen. We try to be honest here at church. 2022 was a hard year for a lot of us. It was a hard year. And my heart goes out to you if it was a particularly hard year for you. But you got to hold on to that hope that the wrong shall fail and the right will prevail because Jesus Christ came to bring peace on earth and goodwill to men. Regardless of how depressing this year has been, you can experience the true peace this Christmas because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is smart enough and He is strong enough and He is loving enough to bring wholeness to whatever it is that's broken in your life. So give Him your broken pieces this Christmas. He is the only one who can make you whole. In fact, that's why He came to earth in the first place. He came to be your wonderful Counselor, your mighty God your everlasting Father, and your Prince of Peace. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. I pray if there's anyone here right now who has never placed you, the Prince of Peace, in the driver's seat of their lives, that they would do so today, that they would come to you right now and say, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I humble myself before you right now. Please forgive me for my sins. Please come into my life and take the the steering wheel of my life. Be in the driver's seat of my life and I'm going to start riding shotgun. 
I'm going to give my life to you today. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Help me to walk in obedience to your commands, beginning with your command to be baptized. I commit to be baptized, Lord, as soon as possible because I want you and I want any person that asks to know I am serious about following you beginning today. Lord Jesus, for those that are Christians already but struggling, I pray for them. Lord, give them the answers that they need, O wonderful Counselor. Give them the strength that they need, O mighty God. Let them know that your loving arms are wrapped around them, that you are with them and you'll never leave them or forsake them. Give them this assurance, O everlasting Father. And as their hearts are troubled, please, O Prince of Peace, Breathe peace into their hearts and souls today. In Jesus' name, amen. God is good. And all the time, God is good. If you need prayer, if you need to accept Christ, if you need to be baptized, come see us up front here after the service. Make sure you sign up there in the lobby. If you'd like to be a part of the outreach at the fairgrounds, we do need a few more volunteers. If you're a first-timer, check in with Lily or Elizabeth at the back table. They'll take care of you. We are so glad that you came and worship. Uh, with us this week. Invite your friends and family next Sunday. It'll be just one week from Christmas Day. God bless you.